Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing The Atlas Six by Olive Blake, which tells the story of six magical adults who join a secret-ish magical society, and the story is told through each of the characters' perspectives as they spend their first year as initiates in the Alexandrian society. It's got some dark academia vibes. I would say chaos kind of ensues. Uh, This book is for adults, but I think it could be a good fit for a mature teen, but the story does deal with some pretty heavy topics at times, so be forewarned. (laughs) Initial reactions. (sighs) I listened to the audiobook for this, and it was multicast reading and was done really well, but, and this is a big but, this was maybe a lesson learned for me, and I know we kind of talked about this in the Discord. I just cannot trust the hype on social media around adult fantasy or maybe just like books in general. Um, I'll go into more detail about some of this later, but there were some really cool aspects of the story, but I was expecting way, way more. There didn't feel like there was anything go- going on in the story. There were these fairly small moments of big action and then the plot twist at the end. But during the in-between times, I found myself really bored. It felt like the book was really well, like really all set up for a book too. But a ton of people love this book and it's being made into a TV show, which I think will pro- I'll probably watch. I think it's a story that I would enjoy more as a TV show than a book because it was just like too much talking, not enough happening. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? I totally hear you on all of this completely especially the hype and the plotting or maybe better said lack thereof I guess um it is it did very (laughs) much feel like a a total setup for book two it was almost as if there were like six really well done character studies that were woven together and like the the plot was almost seemed like to to take on a secondary role which is like you know fine if that's the kind of novel you want to write I thought the final twist was exciting i wasn't expecting it we'll talk more about that later so i might read the next ones maybe um there it's a three book series in theory i think the second one the atlas paradox is out or came out in late october and then the next one yeah it's out the third one is supposed to come out in early 2024 um so (laughs) so far away so far away um overall i guess i would say that the this particular dark academia vibes weren't my fave. Um, I think that's because my personal bias is that like, I appreciate when dark academia comes with like a righteous, no holds barred critique of, you know, that eviscerates the classism, racism, colonialism, ableism, etc. That's like the foundations of all these institutions. I guess I could say like, I enjoyed the philosophical ruminations, you know, everything from how we know what we know, which is epistemology to like the dimensions of space time and all these other things. So that was kind of cool to like, I don't know, I guess nerd out about while I was listening a little bit, but um, I'd venture to guess that this is one of those episodes where the book might be, might not be at like the top of our list, but the conversation mm-hmm. I bet will be illuminating. So I'm curious to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> recommend if you like i <laughs> i put nothing in <laughs> it was all up to me um i'm up to the challenge i said grad school but you wish it were higher stakes like an academic hunger games um 
that's kind of what it felt like to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and i guess isn't that what academia is the hunger games yeah, that's what it fucking <laughs> is. it's really true um <laughs> and i also put like umbrella academy because of misfit crew stopping the apocalypse vibes but this is mostly like only after the final twist was revealed like this might be a better read alike potentially for the second book seeing how that goes you know if they decide to like break up atlas's plans or whatever um but yeah i didn't really have that many read alikes it was very cerebral yes like maybe like i do wonder about Babel. i haven't read it yet by rf kwong but i do think that book has been like set in like juxtaposition to this book in places that I've seen online but I haven't read it so I'm not sure Gray will know because they read it <laughs> I I totally want to read Babel that's what I was um, wanting to pick up I actually like doing research for this episode I went to the author's website Olivia Blake is a pseudonym for Alexine I forget her other two names the, she has other two names that start with F sorry um, we'll put it in the show notes um, but yeah she, she she has a um a, a section of like currently writing, currently reading, and currently listening on her website, mm-hmm. which I liked. The currently oh, writing cool. is kind of cool, um to know what your like people are working on that you're interested in. But the currently reading was Babel, and you oh, know okay, she cool. had like a little narrative, and she said that like this is one of the this is a dark academia book, but goes ham on the institutional criticism. And I'm like, all right, well, cool. Then I'll probably enjoy that one. Put it on the TBR. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why did we choose this book? This book was hyped up all over the place. TikTok, Instagram, probably other places I tend to avoid. (laughs) Um, The Atlas 6 was originally self-published and then traditionally published. Um, The book that we read, so the traditionally published one, is supposed to have expanded on the original work. So it would be kind of interesting to go back and read the self-published version to see what changed. Although there's no way I'm doing that, but it would be interesting to maybe hear from somebody (laughs) about what the changes made were. Cause I, you know, don't know. Some grad student can write a paper on it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But not me. (laughs) Um, But the concept of the book is really cool. So I thought like it might fit and we try and like, have like some kind of adult fantasy usually once a season or it somehow works its way in there so kind of fun to do that every once in a while even if it's not our main reading category yeah occasionally (laughs) something is like in the zeitgeist that we feel like oh maybe we'll do see what we think about this time to talk world building and through the wardrobe So this book takes place in our real world, but there are people spread throughout the world who have magical powers. They're called meridians um, who go to magical colleges and use their magic to work in magical jobs. I think this was all a secret to non-magical users, but that wasn't super clear to me. But like I said, I kind of got bored sometimes, so I probably like spaced out a little bit (laughs) in some parts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what I understood at least was that like, it's essentially like a, a caste system. Right. With the, mm-hmm. the non-magical people at the bottom and they're the most numerous. And then the like an increasing in power. Right. They get less and less frequent. Right. So like the Medeans are the, the top of the top of the pyramid because they're so powerful and they're less like populous than the witches or something else. But but I also didn't really understand if it was a closed magical system because the, the series or the society is like 
secret, quote unquote, and yet everyone seems to know about it or a lot of people seem to know about it. Yeah, I, I was also a little bit like unsure. Well, I, it, I think it was an open magical system because it talked about like, for example, Callum's family was like a super rich yeah. media mogul family that's our illusionist family, right? So like media and illusions, entertainment industry, like that makes yeah. sense. I thought that was kind of cool how the, like, the magic is mapped onto the industry a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this mm-hmm. wasn't totally clear to me because we didn't spend that much time outside of like this little cloistered, I don't know, is it like a building in London or something? Like the society? I think so, or maybe like, yeah, I think they're in London. Yeah, wherever it is. It, I don't know because there were like grounds to walk on so maybe it's like outside of London or like it's both in and out of London I mean there's magic so like I guess it could be in London and then you get to have this like magical space or whatever but yeah we didn't spend much time outside of you know that house so maybe in the next book <laughs> yeah what we got about like the world building was all through the perspective of each of the characters so that was you know mm-hmm. interesting to see how they view the world and that's how then the reader gets everything constructed yeah yeah um we also have the alexandrian society which basically is a society who has moved the contents of the library of alexandria to england and hoards knowledge about magic and they decide who can and can't access knowledge <laughs> which means maybe we should mention that a ton of museums are super shady with lots of stolen items in them that they refuse to give back um, to the places they came from and maybe to think about what it means to have access to information. Um, mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is the Alexandria Society seems pretty shitty. They have like this library, but like no one's allowed to access it unless they have permission. And that's just not how libraries should work, in my opinion. <laughs> Open access. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, the democratization of knowledge. I agree a million percent. It was it was. Yeah, one of the things that I kind of struggled with is because it just like took all of this as like for face value that that's how it is, you know, and it and it didn't even offer it. I guess I kind of wanted more critique about all of this, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just like so blatantly, obviously shitty. It's just like the, con- the hoarding yeah. knowledge, like you said, and it's like, yeah, so blatantly classist and elitist and just like, yeah. And then we see all of the characters getting approached by this other you know, group called the forum, which is trying to dissolve the Alexandrian society. And this is essentially like the demo is for the democratization of knowledge. And I'm kind of like, why aren't y'all listening to these people? I mean, I know why it's the allure of power and knowledge is power. Yeah. And, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just agree a million percent with this and want to shout out <laughs> that John, Oliver- John Oliver did a recent show on like European and colonizer museums and specifically the British museum and why they're both like awful historically mm-hmm. and today would recommend it's very good and funny as usual but just like it really highlights the paternalism of colonizers and it's just like so fucking awful and, and it's just like you're projecting so hard don't you know that this is all about like the problems you have with yourself I'm talking like as a colonizer to a colonizer you yeah. know what i mean like so <laughs> yeah 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 this is just there was so much that was just like tip of the iceberg that was not like really explored by any of the characters they weren't grappling with it they were grappling with the ethical conundrum of having to kill a person it was like a trolley problem novel so the alexandrian society brings in six initiates into their society um like every 10 years but one of them is supposed to be sacrificed at the end or maybe they don't because we've seen two instances now where the sixth person didn't die one of them being libby and then obviously ezra and that 
plot twist that was came out of nowhere <laughs> i felt mm-hmm. so it's really weird society thing going on and they're like killing people to get more power and keep their power and i'm like what the fuck is going on <laughs> and it's just like it seems like it's essentially reached this critical mass where people just like don't feel like they can say no to it and opt out and yet we're seeing mm-hmm. some yeah. some little acts of resistance yeah definitely Let's discuss all things magic. So the Alice 6 features a cast of six main characters who all have magical powers. So I'm just going to go through what all their powers are as I understood them. (laughs) Um, So Raina can hear thoughts from plants and she seems to also be able to give her power to other people or something. I was like a little confused there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Parisa can hear people's thoughts Tristan can see magic slash illusions and possibly like manipulate time. He's kind of like just learning that about himself and maybe what he can do. Nico and Libby can both control physical matter and like fight with that and like move physical things around like telekinesis almost. And then Callum is literally a master manipulator. And I was like, bro, I need him to die like ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) He was terrible. And then we find out at the end, he was always the person set out to, to die and then he didn't. Yeah, not happy with that decision. (laughs) I thought that the passages where the people's powers were illustrated were some of my favorites. I thought that the writing really came alive when it was like describing the different magics and what it was doing. Yeah, I thought that it was interesting to like the Parisa um, Callum juxtaposition, right? This empath versus a telepath Parisa versus empath Callum. And just like the difference between feelings and thoughts. And yeah, I just was really interested in this and the super nerd out about, I was like finding myself just kind of spiraling nerding out about, you know, the differences and yet the similarities between feelings and thoughts and how they affect our actions and, and how they're like not co-constitutive of who we are. And at the same time kind of are. Yeah. But anyway, this is like very philosophical, but I thought this was an interesting point. <laughs> Meanwhile, me, well, every time that the plants were talking to Raina, I was like, this sounds so creepy. Like, because it was the audiobook version. I was just like, <laughs> yes. Like, I was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> like, every time. And I was like, please, can I have the plants talk to me? Like, I want I want to be able to grow the plants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought it was like a really cool power to have, but something about like the way that the... um narrator like did the voices of the plants like really creeped me out for some reason it was just like yes weird I don't know it just made me feel icky and I was like I don't um, no thank you <laughs> it was very like non-human sounding you know which is like oh I guess maybe you met the brief I guess yeah yeah or like um I listened to the audio book for Coraline which was narrated by Neil Gaiman and there were like some instances where like these little animals were talking in that book and it like totally creeped me out and it just reminded me of that and I was like "Mm -mm, nope (laughs) you're like oh not my favorite (laughs) no (laughs) I was like please stop talking to her I also thought that Callum was one of the most interesting characters from like an ethical perspective Mm -hmm. you know just that like or his power is like the the whole idea of empathy and how it's like can be weaponized and then show up as manipulation. Mm-hmm. It's just like how how much a power it is to like understand what a person is going through and then be able to like I don't know act from that place of information. But one mm-hmm. thing he also at one point was talking about is like the gender constructs and how power is cultivated. And he talked about like the the disparity between like 
men with empath powers were barely, you know, noticed and they weren't cultivated or if they were, it was cultivated to toward manipulation or toward gaining power at the expense of others like Mm -hmm. CEO or politician or whatever versus like women who, you know, this this power was a identified in them and then b cultivated towards like service and, you know, service of others. Right. Not towards like power over. It's more like power with um, or power within. I just thought that was, was like a really, in- he had some interesting like philosophical conundrums to pose <laughs> throughout the, throughout the story. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. He did. It was like weird. Cause I like, I'm like, I understand where he's coming from kind of, but I'm also like, bro, this is too much power for one person. Like you shouldn't be able to do these things. Mm-mm, exactly. And that's how kind of he was described at the end. Right. When during this Atlas Ezra, the, during this Ezra chapter, um, mm-hmm. he was like, Atlas thought saw him as like a key to the new to like he saw him as like a Callum is like the nuclear code a nuclear code that shouldn't yeah. exist yeah which is probably true like we shouldn't be able to use people's thoughts and feelings against them like in that way that he can it does seem pretty bad like it can be used for super evil shit mm-hmm. totally and like what accountability or recourse is there to stop a person from doing that you know in this yeah. in this world exactly yeah um, I was curious. Can we do a quiz and see which character we are? Is I can just edit quiz? it out. I don't know. There probably okay, is. Let, I just gotta let's see. <laughs> let's Google it. Let's find one. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. I should have looked up one and linked it here, but I did not. Oh my gosh! Okay. Okay. Um. So we're gonna do this little quiz, quizzy quiz, <laughs> and then <laughs> before we get our results, who would you? be in this group or what powers would you want okay let me just say i think i would probably want well it's hard because i like parisa's powers because it would be good to know what people are thinking i think but it seems like she can't turn it off which would be really difficult so mm-hmm. maybe tristan or libby slash nico who basically have the same powers uh it'd be cool to like go through be able to travel through time because then you could like fix shit you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna go with tristan all right, that's a good one. What about you? I like Raina. Oh yeah, of she's course. such a fucking misanthrope, and she would rather be with her plants. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Vibing. Okay, that makes I'm sense. vibing with these plants. <laughs> All right, I got mine. <laughs> I'm doing. My, hold on a second. Um, hmm, what instrument am I most inclined to play? Why is this relevant? <laughs> I don't know. I just picked the one that I would want to play. Mm. All right. What color are you drawn to? I'm sorry. This is taking me so long. I'm taking it very seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Skip and continue. You do not get my email. I am Raina. (laughs) I also got Raina. (laughs) (laughs) Unexpected. I think it's because they were like, what do you want from people? And I said, to be left alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I also said. (laughs) So, you know. They don't know what to do with a misanthrope. Yeah, I guess not. (laughs) All right. Well, we both got Raina. That's funny. I guess it makes sense. That's pretty funny. That is pretty funny. All right. Well, we did that. Cool. All right. Thanks for indulging me. We can go on. Back to the assignment. Oh, of course. Okay. 
Uh, in the end of the story, we found out that Libby's ex slash boyfriend, I don't think that they like officially broke up, but it was like insinuated that they broke up, um, can travel through time. And he was an initiate along with Atlas. And that just like blew everything up at the end. I was just like, what has been going on? This is all like very different than I thought. And I don't think I like it when a book doesn't like hint towards something. And then all of a sudden there's just like this huge twist at the end that like you couldn't have figured out through the story. It just feels like very like mystery novel to me, which I don't enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Friggin' Ezra. I had all mm-hmm. but forgotten about him when he showed up. Me too. And it was just like chapter 41, Ezra. And I was like, hold on. I thought this person was not important. Not only that, I was like, is Ezra Libby's ex slash boyfriend? Like, is that the same Ezra? Like, is that this yes. guy? Like, what's going on? I totally forgot about him. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, content warning for mass shooting for his story. That just went, like, right into that right away. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, yeah, anyways, Ezra seems like kind of, like, I'm like, bro, you're not you're not growing up, which means you're not growing So as a person. So, of course, you didn't know to expect this from Atlas, like get it together man <laughs> yeah if you'd have been paying attention you would know that power corrupts so yep an absolute yeah. power which is what this guy isn't going for yeah you know corrupts even Anyways, more so not a fan of ezra i mean i guess he's saying libby that's fair and he does seem to be like a different moral compass so it'll be interesting to yeah. see where it goes but yeah not sure if i'll for be sure. on the ride we'll see <laughs> There was this one comment that I like really had beef with at one point. Um, it it like juxtaposed magic as order and nature as chaos. And I was like, I what is going like that doesn't make any sense to me because like if fractals like that is the least chaotic thing. And that is like the quintessence of nature, you know, the like patterns that go on and on and then like, repeat at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just like kind of shows this like ontological separation of human from nature like we are not that um which is like definitely untrue but has come out of essentially the enlightenment and european thought you know thanks um appreciate you all it's definitely been a journey in therapy unlearning all that (laughs) um and just like nature knows what the fuck it's doing and all the while there's only certain small groups of humans that are like fucking up on a grand scale you know these you know one percent billionaire motherfuckers etc um yeah causing all sorts of chaos and yeah it was it was like i guess how magic is positioned in the in the story it's almost like magic is more like control or an attempt at control of this natural vital like something life force yeah um yeah it was just kind of a weird distinction to make i think um like you pointed out like uh like this weird kind of separation of humans from nature which is like we are natural beings like i don't know why why there's like this move towards the separation of us from other animals or you know other things that occur in nature it just doesn't make sense to me and if your magic is coming from you then it's natural thing so i don't know it was just kind of weird you know yeah Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. So this book is really interesting in that it seems like all the characters are some sort of villain to another character, which was a new feeling, kind of. 
but Atlas is obviously the shadiest of all of them. And I think he's going to end up being like the big bad villain. Um, and then I think Callum is obviously positioned as a villain among like the other of the six initiates because he's doing some shady shit and, you know, like manipulating everyone and stuff. But like Atlas is kind of doing the same thing. So I feel like Atlas and Callum maybe are on a similar level. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of morally great characters. Which makes for interesting mm-hmm. character studies and reading and interactions between mm-hmm. them. You know, it's not always easy to like anticipate what's going to happen in a, in a scene or an interaction. Yeah. Um, except like a lot of talking and nothing, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> not kidding. Um, not it was kidding. a whole year went by in the book. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I don't have anything to add what you said. I think it's just, yeah, you're right. the tagline also though like knowledge is carnage i thought that was like quippy and clever and i'm like certain kinds of knowledge can lead to carnage but yeah it's just like i know it was like just a tagline but um it it does kind of like when you peel back the the the, like onion layers of this these three words you know it's like wow you can mine for a lot of different meaning and like preconceptions about what knowledge is and what it does in the world. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't be on brand if I didn't mention <laughs> the forum, the society, large institutions generally, <laughs> and the, my anarchist is showing. So sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Just like but all, all of these things where they're just like, they're nebulous. It's not clear who you are beholden to, who's like funding you. Um, it's just like, you know, I don't know, makes a case for small scale um, organization in my view. I would agree with that. Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, except you did if you watch <laughs> the Lord of the Rings show. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about representations of race, class, and gender and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. I would say that unlike some of the other books that we read, um, this book has a pretty diverse set of main characters um, with the six main characters coming from different places all over the world. Like it's possible maybe that each continent was represented um, and they're like from different um, class backgrounds. There are different ages. um, And I actually really appreciated about that about the book. And I think like, obviously I can only speak to (laughs) understanding the perspectives of of some characters from on a personal level, but it seemed like most of the characters or maybe possibly all of them were written with care and done well. Um, and so I appreciated that about this book. I don't think that's something we see very often. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. Well done. Well done. One thing that we kind of touched on already, but I figured would be remiss if we didn't put it in one does not simply is this whole like hierarchical structure of society, this like caste system based on magic and like how available it is and how much power people have. Um, yeah, I'm curious to, to see whether this will get a whole shakedown or a whole shake up in future stories, f- future parts of the book, because it seems like they're leading towards, you know, messing with this institution and taking it off its, you know, foundations. And I mean, I, at least I, where my bias hopes that the story goes, um, but I would be <laughs> curious if, if I know, right. <laughs> I would be curious if like this, the whole structure of society is, is also at stake 
you know, when mm-hmm. you when yeah. you shake up how knowledge is hoarded. Most definitely, yeah. <laughs> Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a sex a segment about asexuality, <laughs> sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I should not try and read ahead, like as if I don't already have like these little bits memorized. Anyways, <laughs> um, we see this very interesting academic competition between Libby and Nico. Like they're really pushing each other to be the best. I can't really decide if Libby and Nico have like romantic feelings for each other or not. I don't really know what's going on with them. Maybe it's just like this kind of like cerebral connection they have and that leads them to like pushing each other's buttons and competing with each other. Um, But it was very interesting to read that even in the small doses that we got it in. you're right the the author did like make that tension really sizzle and yeah maybe it's like the there is something I guess maybe seductive about finding your intellectual or like power equal you know someone that you can actually spar with yeah I can see the the allure of that you know yeah because we also have like this like weird thing going on with Tristan and Libby where I think like Tristan has feelings for Libby but Libby doesn't seem to like really reciprocate those so I don't but she likes working with him like on the magical aspect so like there's all these weird like relationships going on (laughs) not weird but like they're not fully realized yet maybe you know what I mean yeah there was a lot of um yeah it's a lot of messiness you know just Mm -hmm. like like it's it's kind of like an intellectual big brother like what would happen if you put all these super powerful people in a library and they like fucked each other (laughs) and killed each other yeah yeah Um, and then we have like this relationship between like nico and gideon so they were like roommates before this all started where people were like questioning the relationship between the two of them and so i really liked this relationship because i don't know if it's supposed to be romantic or like just really good friends but I also don't think we see a lot of depictions of men being like just very close in close relationship with each other because I think if this was two women characters like nobody would bat an eye at the idea that they would like care for each other in such a way as in a friendship and Mm -hmm. but it's hard because everyone's like speculating about the relationship between Nico and Gideon so I don't know what's going to come of this but and I think the author should do whatever they want. Maybe Nico likes all kinds of people. <laughs> um, but I just appreciated this in that I don't think we get to see these kinds of depictions of friendships between men that are just like very caring. Um, because I think friendships in media, in books, like movies, TV shows, like the, it's just very gendered about how friends can or are able to care for each other. So I appreciated this. Completely agree completely agree another thing I appreciated was yeah it wasn't like super hetero normative there was you know no queer desire flowing you know between people (laughs) and (laughs) there was like a a trio sex scene that I thought was pretty uh, like well done I mean problematic in that there were a lot of intoxicants involved etc etc people were in vulnerable places consent etc etc but also it's fiction so yeah um, yeah yeah, just appreciated that it was like okay 
it, it was it wasn't like just trying to ship you know certain like it wasn't trying to just pair off three 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 you know people in this six like cohort yeah and i like that they kind of like the author kind of uh showed like that people can have feelings for each other like ebb and flow and like you can have feelings for multiple people and like it's not a bad thing because i think we often see like these love triangles where like one you know main character has to choose between two people um and that's just not how life always works so i liked that yeah like what if it weren't a zero-sum game you know yeah (laughs) okay now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called kill your darlings aka in which jesse gets the (laughs) mic and goes off (laughs) i don't know why i just like maybe it's my creative writing classes like coming out of me where i'm just i love it yes i love it okay so i think the reason i didn't like this book and it it was like I had to think about it because I was like, what do I not like about this book? I think it's the same reason I don't love most travel stories, um, obviously with some exceptions. Um, There's a lot of talking going on in this book, but not a lot happening in the story. I think the characters were really well written and really well developed, but I wanted to see more and I wanted to know more. All the stuff with Ezra at the end was really unexpected, but not in a good way. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, I think this is... uh, in creative writing it's like a like a jab to say something was like cinematically derivative but I do feel like this would work better as like a movie or tv show um, because I feel like it came out of nowhere and I feel like that works better in a movie or tv show than it does in a book um yeah or you could have even hinted visually in a scene with Ezra and Libby in a way that you can't in a text or that you have to do differently in a text yeah exactly like maybe that's the feeling the author was going for which is totally fine but I just think this book wasn't really working for me every reader their book and every book their reader all that kind of stuff but like it was funny to see how like popular this book was and then I read it and I was like I do not understand the hype at all (laughs) so anyways that's that's it kill your darlings it was it was a rough one for me and it took me like maybe two weeks to listen to the audiobook at two and a half times the speed and that is just not normal for me (laughs) i'm really glad that you that you said this and and that you like did some you know deeper thinking about what was it that kind of rubbed you the wrong way or that you weren't really into And it makes me wonder, like, what does this book speak to in the zeitgeist? Like, what does it capture? Like, I wonder why people like it so much then, you know? Yeah. I don't don't know. It wasn't like a particularly, um, yeah, it was like very character driven. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a long way to hold out for a plot, you know? And so I'm just... Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to how this captured so much attention with the masses. I'm like, I would think that they would be very plot hungry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe like this is just like a very accessible fantasy novel and like that the mm-hmm. world building's not so complicated that you're like two thirds into the book before you really understand what's going on in the world. Because I do mm-hmm. think that is a struggle some people have with fantasy. I know I have it sometimes as well where I'm just like, I got to push through and then I'll understand everything. So maybe it's just very accessible. And I do think people like this like multiple POV, like kind of big stories. But I was just, I was surprised because I assumed there'd be a lot more happening in the book and then Same. to get it and then be like 
all this talking i'm like what why i don't i don't understand but like you know people should read whatever they want like Completely. i fully believe that um but I, I yeah i was just surprised that like about the chokehold this book had on the bookish community and then i read it and i was like what <laughs> yeah and i also think that it's like i'm glad that you brought in that they were tr- they were self-published originally and now they're trad published mm-hmm. and yeah just yeah. like goes to show that every you know writer has their own journey and there's the text isn't finished necessarily you know yeah, yeah exactly. until it gets out to the readers yeah and then it keeps going <laughs> yeah that's it once it's in the hands of the readers we get to do with it whatever we want with it and that's that's what's gonna happen <laughs> we get to make podcasts about it for example yeah <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Okay, before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? The segment where Kelly gets to take the mic because Jesse wrote nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly gets to go off. Um, for me, it was really about human hubris. Hubris being like an overestimation of one's abilities and like importance, like self-important. Like mm-hmm. vainglory is another way of talking about that. So there's a lot of that. And then what I'm way more interested in and like put a pin in this because I was like, oh, my God, I love this as a way for exploration. I can't remember who was talking about it. But at one point they were talking about like, why should we be liberate? Why should we limit ourselves to the possible? I think maybe it was Atlas who said this. And so I'm like, I would like to take it completely <laughs> out of him and give it completely new meaning. Because it, like, okay. <laughs> it is a really liberating inquiry to be like, why should we limit ourselves to the possible? You know, the things that have been told that are possible or, you know, having been like sought out for myself, specifically like black feminist writers and who are doing a lot of this like visioning beyond the horizon of what's possible. And I'm just like very into this question. That's all. Yeah, but I think it's a great question because when you like sometimes I think about even just like feats of the human body where they're like nobody could do you know whatever whatever in this amount of time and then it happens so like we always think there's like this threshold for what we are capable of until someone breaks that threshold and so like why limit yourself by that when you could be the person that breaks that threshold you know so no I like this even if it came from Atlas (laughs) (laughs) and also it just makes me think of like what is possible when we you know organize together yeah and when you're because these limits or like the possible is essentially like a series of limitations that is mm-hmm. um, subjective, right? Yeah. Doesn't it depend yeah. on your perspective? I think so. Yeah. Because like what's possible for one person might be completely impossible for another person, but only if the circumstances don't change, exactly. in which case what's possible completely changes. Yeah. And I think we're maybe going to see in future books, which I, if I'm being honest, I probably won't read them, but I'll probably watch the TV show. Um <laughs> Like, I think we might see the five who are still together come to realize this um, as they band together to figure out how to save Libby and also maybe stop future initiations from happening. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Let me get the cards. Let me get the cards for the questions. Okay. Yes. Need to answer our card questions. Don't forget sound effects. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, I know why I'm here. It's my purpose. <laughs> Prop person. Um, I had the, I had an idea the other day. I literally wrote it wrote it down on a sticky note. You can. Wow. I was like, what if? Because these quotes have been these like questions have been fun, and I'm like, oh, what if we did like a library coven version as like a merch Ooh. idea? Question cards. That's a good by idea. Us, curated by yes. us. We could do that, I think. Based off of, you know, kind of this like, I don't, what do you call it? Uh, it's not a rubric. It's like a, a practice of critique that we've developed or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I thought about that. I was like, oh. I like the idea. So I'm, here I am just asking you on air. Okay. Okay. I think it's a great idea. We'll do some brainstorming sessions maybe over the winter break. <laughs> yep. That sounds good. Because <laughs> we're busy. Oh my God, are we? <laughs> But we're here okay. to bring you all all these magic <laughs> content, content. Daddy made you your content. Yeah, I love the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> love you, Bo Burnham. Hope you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I would literally die <laughs> if Bo Burnham was like, "Oh yeah, listen to your podcast." I'd be like, "Oh my god, this isn't happening." What if we asked Bo Burnham if he wanted to read a book and be on the podcast with us? I don't think that's going to happen because he's like an Oscar winning like screenplay writer now. But if he wanted to, that would be fun. It would be interesting. I mean, it would also be you weird. We're going to have a white dude on the show. What? Oh, maybe not. That's on. That's not on brand, is it? It's not. <laughs> I mean, he hey. seems like a good white dude, but I, you know, I like him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this turned into like a fan, a fan convo about Bo Burnham. You can tell what age we are. Totally yes. millennials. Uh, yeah. um, okay <laughs> back to this book what okay. emotions did it provoke in you um anger frustration annoyance <laughs> boredom boredom <laughs> I was angry and annoyed about the boredom <laughs> um, oh yeah. my god <laughs> I love you so much okay um and me wait what what's emotions? your answer <laughs> I don't know what emotions did this book provoke in me um Hmm. Ambivalence? Is that an emotion? I think so. Like you maybe (laughs) take it or leave it, kind of? Yeah, yeah. Also, like a little bit bored. Yes. But boredom is a creative it can be like a portal to creativity, so I'm not shitting on boredom here. Yeah, yeah. But I would rather be reading other books, so (laughs) (laughs) um sorry. Um, I'm just like scrolling through these and not liking them. Oh, I don't like this question. Can I just read this question and shit on this question? Yes. How does the interaction between the sexes compare with your own experience? Can we just change this phrasing? <laughs> well, please? yes. How do gender roles play out in this story and how does it make you feel and how is it different from your experience exactly that's much better <laughs> mm. um, mm-hmm. hmm. i mean i think parisa being uh like the telepath and she she was very like femme fatale mm-hmm. characterization um yeah which was kind of traditionally gender roles yeah traditional yeah. gender stereotypes um I feel like a lot of traditional gender roles in this story and only, yeah, I mean, we only really see people who identify with, you know, man, woman, right. not gender really binary. Anything. Yeah. Nothing outside of that. Um, or at least not yet, but I think that happens in a lot of books we read less so in YA now, but 
you know right. <laughs> i know adults doesn't get with seem to be like at the vanguard yes <laughs> haven't we been saying it everyone haven't we been saying it i know yes yes um okay let's do one more question about the book okay I just asked you how you felt, so I don't want to ask you about the personal impact of the book. <laughs> there was none. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> what would a good subtitle for this book be? I feel like we should make something like with the knowledge is carnage, like boredom is carnage for your brain. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, Yeah. Or... Character like power is carnage. Yeah, yeah character. Yeah. A study in character. <laughs> exactly. A study in power and character. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Kelly's okay. got it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> um, thanks for listening to the show uh, and our ramblings of the library coven. I don't know what's <laughs> going on with us today. We are just in moods. <laughs> we are. We are. We're in rare form today. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks. Um, as always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode. I'd love to hear what other people thought about this book. Anything yeah, for real. We, we want to know. Or <laughs> yeah. Or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. You can subscribe to The Library Coven wherever you get your podcasts. And we would also really appreciate it if you rate and review the show because algorithms are oppressive and also structure how we live. Um, so, yeah. And also you can spread the word to other rad people out there. Just send it. link, Send a link to it to someone you love who needs to, I don't know, listen to some besties talk about books. And if you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation on coffee. You can also support us on Patreon monthly. And you can also shop at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Bye.